If you're with us, if you've been with us for a while, you know we've been studying through the book of 2 Corinthians. If not, we're studying through the book of 2 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 5 this morning. Uh, the, st- the series is called The Autobiography of a Bleeding Heart. Paul, par- Paul is pouring out his life and his ministry and his concern, his love for this church, and he's writing them. Today's message is called Eternal Perspective. Paul has some very urgent things that he wants to communicate with the church back then, and I think they're just as urgent for us to know and even more so to believe and walk in um, today. We're going to start with um, a little game here. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this game, Would You Rather? You guys ever played this before? The game of hypothetical situation. We got a, a Would You Rather enthusiast. That's good. Um, I'm not going to stand up today, but I'm going to have some of you guys stand up. So I'm going to give you a Would You Rather. And the second one, if the second option is the one you would pick, I want you to stand up. So we're going to start with the classic one. Would you rather be able to fly in your body, not in an airplane, we can already do that, or be able to be invisible? Would you rather be able to fly or be invisible? If you'd rather be invisible, stand up. All right. Okay. If you stood up, I don't trust you. I don't know why you want to be invisible. I don't know what shady things you're involved in that you don't want people to know. <laughs> That's a legitimate option. All right. Pretty good. We were a little slip on the invisibility. That's fine. Second one. Would you rather be four foot five or would you rather be seven foot seven? If you'd rather be seven foot seven, stand up. If you'd rather be four foot five, stay seated. I was particularly interested in to see what the Martin family would choose. You'd rather go low? <laughs> There's... There's pros and cons to both. All right, very good. And the last one, and this I love. This is a Jacob special, actually. I love this one. Would you rather have no knees, or or have no elbows? So if you'd rather have no elbows, stand up. So you're either like this, or you're like this. All right. So you're okay. So I know the ones that like to walk and the ones that don't. We uh, <laughs> we got to figure it out. I see some Bronco fans in the in the house this morning. You guys excited? Twelve forty. <laughs> A house divided against itself cannot stand rich. All right. So this morning, we're going to ask three more would-you-rathers. And they may initially appear pretty easy to answer. There might be the the spiritual choice. but, But in reality, what matters more is, does our life, the way that we live, actually reflect the answer that we would give? We each have one life to live. And then we either die, or before that, the Lord may return, and we'll face God. But in the meantime, we live this life here on earth, and, and Scripture's pretty clear. James says, what is your life? It's a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Our time here on earth is, is very, very short. Our time in eternity, by definition, is not. And so the main question that we want to ask ourselves this morning is am I, are we, living in light or living for that momentary vapor here on earth, or are we living in light of eternity? And to answer that, we want to examine our heart answers to three would-you-rather questions. First question, would you rather have a tent or a house? Would you rather have a tent or a house? Let me explain. Verse 1. Paul says, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Uh, He says, we're living in a tent, but one day we're going to be upgrading to a house. Who here loves camping? Anybody love camping here? You're Alaskan. You should. Now, clarifying, motorhomes, that's not camping, okay? (laughs) 
You can drive to a camp spot in your motorhome, but if you want to camp like a real Alaskan, get out of the car and get into the tent, right? Now, I love camping. I love, I, I love, I love being in a tent. It's, it's fun for a few days, right? Especially if you're in a cool Eddie Bauer-style tent like that, with a place for your shoes and a, a little patio. Um, it's fun for a few days, right? But over time, the rain starts to come, the puddles get up and always find the end of your sleeping bag and you wake up in the night and you feel that water starting to slowly soak up to, you, to your body through the sleeping bag. The, you wake up in the morning with the mosquito buzzing in your ear and then you hit the mosquito and realize you also hit your ear. You know, you, you've got to go to the bathroom. That means a lot more work than what it does at home. You know, you, it, I'm sleeping on the ground. This is great, for a few days. Maybe some of the diehards in here, maybe a week or two, if you're hunting or whatever. Tents are great, but they're, they're not meant for permanent living. I mean, especially in Alaska, right? I mean, imagine living in a tent year-round, living through an Alaskan winter in a tent. Now, this winter would be a little bit more, a little bit easier. But the point is, they're temporary. Now, when Paul talks about this tent, what is he talking about? Is he talking about a house that we dwell in? What Paul is referencing is actually our, our earthly physical body. He's comparing our body, our physical body that we're living in right now, to, to a tent. And we see this. It's kind of cool. In, in John 1, uh, he says the, the well-known verse, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, uh, made his dwelling among us. It's actually better translated. The word picture that John uses there is and tented among us. Jesus came down to this earth and took on an earthly tent just like you and I are, are in today. This is a very culturally relevant analogy that Paul would have used. People were in tents all the time. Shepherds would use them um, when they were going out with their flocks. People would use them who were traveling. But even in this time in the Middle East, these tents were used, they indicated a nomadic lifestyle. This was not, these were not intended for permanent dwelling. These were people who were going on a trip or, or going out with their sheep. They weren't meant uh, for more than, than, than a small period of time. Paul was also intimately aware of this because Paul's occupation, he was a leather worker. And the main thing that he made with his leather was tents. He was a, a tent maker. So Paul was very familiar with what tents would have been used for. And, and I think also his Jewish audience, he would have understood when the people of God, when the Israelites moved through the desert, they would construct, wherever they would put up camp, they would construct this tabernacle. It was this tent of meeting where God would come and meet the people. And God would come to this place. This is where the priests would offer sacrifices and, and go intercede between the people and God. But then when they got to the promised land, the place where they were to permanently dwell, he said, no longer are we going to use this tent. I want you to build me a temple. And this temple is going to be far more glorious and far more permanent than the tabernacle, the tent of meeting that I've been using. So I think that Paul's point here is that these earthly bodies are temporary. And they're nothing compared to the bodies that we're going to receive when we see him. When this earthly body runs its course and it dies, we're going to receive a new glorious body. So what's the difference between the body now and the body we're going to receive? He jumps in here. He says, now we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, speaking of death, we have a building from God, an eternal house, not built by human hands. He says this new house, it's eternal, it's, it's everlasting, 
And it's, it's from God. Meaning, and what he means here is it's not of the created order here on earth. This is something that's, that's coming from God. Verse 2, he says, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. He says, whatever's coming, this new body, I want it. I groan for it. Romans 8, it says, all of creation groans for what is to come. Verse 3 says, because, this is why we groan, when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. He says, compared to the body that I am going to receive, it's as though right now I have nothing. And I long to have this outer garment. Verse 4, for while we're in this tent... We groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He says this life right now, this body that we live in is mortal. It's temporary. It decays. It runs down. We're all at various stages of tent rundown, right? Some of us are more intimately aware of that than others. And what he's saying is that, see, God's original intent was that we would have bodies that would last forever. That's how he created Adam and Eve. But when Adam and Eve sinned, the separation from God occurred. We were cut off from our life source, and he introduced the second law of thermodynamics, that everything runs down, everything's moving toward entropy, everything decays. And we see that on our planet, everything including our body. But our spirit, our soul, longs for what is eternal. In fact, the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, he said in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has planted eternity in the human heart. See, our souls, we long to be clothed with the immortal, with what will last forever. And I don't think Paul's point here is that he's like discontent with the size of his nose. He says, I can't wait until I get, I finally get this, this perfect nose, these perfect features, I get better muscle definition, or I can fly or be invisible. He says, it's not, these aren't, I don't think these are primarily physical features that Paul is concerned with. I think Paul in Romans 7, he says, he says, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? And in context, he's talking about his body and how it's associated with sin. I think that Paul, he longs to be free from this sin house of a body. He says, I want to serve and love and worship my God unfettered by this decaying, sinful body the way that I was originally created to do and to be. So the question, our first question, would you rather live in a tent or would you rather live in a house? Like if you had a tent and I had a house and I said, do you want to trade? All right, this should be a pretty easy decision, right? This is not a difficult one. But then we ask ourselves, how, do I, how am I living? Do, am I living to just simply trying, and tr- trying to preserve this earthly tent for as long as I can to make this thing look as good as it can look for other people? Or am I groaning? Am I longing for this new body. And what's that body going to be like? Corinthians uh, 15, Paul says, a seed goes into the ground, and what comes out of it? It's not another seed. It's an oak tree. It's a flower. When our mortal body goes into the ground, something completely different is going to come. And the only thing that we do know is that we're going to be like Jesus. First John says, when we see him, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. 
But I think the main point isn't the type of house that we're going to receive. What are the three most important things in real estate? Location, 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 right? And I think that leads us to question number two. Would you rather be here or there? Would you rather be here or there? I, I would argue Paul is not saying that our bodies are horrible. We were fearfully and wonderfully made. The human body is incredible. But the point is, is that it's temporary. It's decaying. And more to the point, it's away from Jesus. We are not with him. This summer, a couple weeks ago, I told you about the trip I took this summer. And Jacob joined me on the West Coast part of the trip. We had a great time. Here we are lollygagging in, a, in Ed Trenner's pool in Orange, California. And rejoicing after an angel's walk-off home run victory. We had a really good time. Jacob was with me for 12 days. But at, at the, as, as the trip went on, especially, as fun as we had, as good of a time we had together, it was very evident for both of us, and even more so Jacob, this isn't home. This isn't where I belong. And what I, where I want to be is home with my wife and my son. And as the trip went on, that became more and more evident. By the end of the time, it was like, I love you, Justin, but I'm going home. Right? I'm going to where I belong. And Now, along the course of the trip, Jacob could talk to his family. We have cell phones. We have all sorts of technology. He could FaceTime every night when Manny was going to go to bed. He'd FaceTime and say goodnight. One time after a game, we were on an elevator full of people. And before you know it, all the baseball fans are waving goodnight to Manny and helping us. It was, pretty, it was a pretty cool moment. But it wasn't the same as being home. And, and while we're here in these earthly tents, I can, I can talk to the Lord. I can, I can commune with him in prayer. And he can show me himself through his beautiful creation. And I can see him in his word. But it's not the same as being with him. It's not the same as being home with my father. He says in verse 6, Therefore, we are always confident. Therefore, we are always confident. What do we say when we see a word like this? What's the therefore? Why is he confident? Rewind back to verse 5. It says, Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. He says, My confidence that I'm going to receive this permanent body, that I'm going to be clothed in the immortal, that I'm going to live with him, this confidence is founded on two things. Number one, that God created me for this purpose. And if God purposes something, if God plans something, you can know that he is faithful to deliver on that promise, on that purpose, on that plan. And his second thing that he could be confident in was he says, the Holy Spirit's been given to me, we saw this a few chapters before, as a down payment or as an engagement ring guaranteeing the marriage supper of the Lamb, guaranteeing that we will become the bride of Christ. And so he says, because of these two things, God's purpose and the Holy Spirit's down payment, he says, I'm confident of this. And, verse, the rest of verse 6, and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. He says, if, if I'm here in this temporary tent, I am not in my permanent home with him. And that's why, verse 7, he says, we live by faith and not by sight. We live by faith and not by sight. 
What is faith? Hebrews 11, if you remember. What is faith? The, the author asks. It's the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It's the evidence of things we can't see. I can't see that new body. I can't see that permanent home. I can't see him. I'm not walking by sight. But I believe. And I have hope that what God has said in his word is going to come to fruition based on the power of God and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jacob couldn't see his family, but he believed that they were at home waiting for him. And so that changed the reality of how he lived in the present and where his hope lied. And so verse 8, Paul says this, Yes, we're fully confident And we would rather be, here's Paul's would you rather, I would rather, we would rather be away from these bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. Paul says, because of my confidence in who God is, would I rather be here or there with him? Paul says, that's a no-brainer. That's the easiest would you rather question you could ever ask me. And that's what made Paul so invincible. Paul's life was threatened every single day. He says, but if you kill me, I get to go home. I get to be with my father. Now, does this mean that if we have this mentality, you've heard the expression, if you're so heavenly minded that you'll be no earthly good? Well, are we just going to, if we just long for heaven, are we just going to sit on the couch and say, Jesus, come back soon? Well, that's not how the Apostle Paul lived his life, and I I don't think that's how we will live our life either. If you look at Philippians 1, Paul talks about this. He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, he expounds on this. He says, for if I am to go on living in the body, in this temporary tent on earth, this will mean fruitful labor for me. He says, there are good things. God has a fruitful ministry for me here on earth. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. It's fascinating to watch Paul's internal dialogue, his internal struggle here. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is, uh, which is better by far. He says, this isn't even close. I would much rather be with him. But, exactly. But, but, verse 24, it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. This is not for my sake. For me? It's better to be with him, but for you. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith. He says, listen, I want to be with Jesus, but he has me on this earth for a purpose. And that purpose is to show other people who Jesus is, to point them to him, to preach his gospel, to love other people, to have that light shine through this cracking pot. And so he says, I'm going to be here as long as God has me here. And then when he pulls me back up to heaven, that's even better. Completely changes the way we live. So would you rather, number two, would you rather be present with the body? Would you rather be here or would you rather be present with the Lord? And how we live shows how we answer that question. What is my greatest, what is your greatest desire? When I was preparing this a couple days ago, I was at home and um, I was in the background, Price is Right was on. Have you ever watched this show? Um, and it was fascinating to study this while I'm watching that. And these people, you know, come on down. And they come running down there and, you know, here, we're going to bid on a skateboard or a washing machine or a smartphone. And these people just lose their minds because I get free stuff. 
you know, and they start making their bids, and they get it, and they run up there, and woo, they're dancing around, and then every once in a while, you know what's coming behind the curtain, a new car, and then they just like implode with enthusiasm, like I can't even comprehend that you're going to give me this thing, and they obviously don't understand how gift tax works, right? They are so pumped up over these things, over this material, and how easy is it for us to get wrapped up in that? to get so jacked up over stuff. Jerry Seinfeld was joking. He said, all things on earth only exist in different stages of becoming garbage. (laughs) All things on earth only exist in different stages of becoming garbage. And I think he saw it with the right perspective. This This is all decaying. This is all running down. Our bodies, the stuff, this gym, everything is running down. This whole earth is decaying. And am I spending my time on this earth just collecting garbage? Am I spending all of my my time trying to preserve the garbage that I already do have? Am I shrieking like a a Price is Right contestant over over the things of this world, the material gain and job promotions and and vacations? and, And none of those things are inherently wrong. But are those the things that I I desire the most? Or am I groaning? Am I longing? So this isn't, I'm an alien here. I don't belong here. And am I saving that shrieking for the moment when I see his face? And like Jacob on our trip, do I say, "This, this life is great. There's some good things for me to do now. I have a fruitful ministry. God has prepared good works in advance for me to do. But but I really want to be home. That's better by far. And if we truly desire to be with him the most, then like Paul, I think that's going to settle the answer to this final question. Would you rather live for now or for eternity? See, for Paul, heaven was not simply a destination. It was a motivation. It was not a destination. It was a motivation. It wasn't just, yep, I'm living this life. I love this life. And someday I go to heaven. That's just kind of what happens next. It fueled him, like Chris talked about last week. It drove him. It, 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 it did everything he did, was motivated by what was to come. And that's what we see in verse 9. He says, so, so, because I'm going to get this body, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and I'd rather go there, that's how, this is how it changes how I live right now. So, we make it our goal to please him. To please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. He says, wherever I am, here or there, I have one goal, I have one ambition, one motivation, and that is to please the one that I most long to be with. And here's why. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. He says there, I am accountable to my creator God, to the Lord. And one day I'm going to stand before him and I have to give an account of everything I'm done. The judgment seat of Christ. Now you may say, wait a second. We aren't judged anymore. Like, we're Christians. We're saved. What are you talking about judgment? Well, this judgment seat that he refers to, the Greek word is, is bima. It's the bima seat. And it was a, an illustration that would have been very vivid for Paul's Greek audience. The bima seat, here we see a picture of one. This is the, in the ancient ruins at Corinth. 
Um, it's, this bema seat was a platform in these Greek towns. And, and the person would stand up on this kind of platform, and they would give, they would give public declarations to the people, or they would hand down um, decrees from the rulers to, to the people of the town. This was also a place where the awards were given to the winners of the Olympic Games. I think that's the, that's the picture that Paul is using here. The Bema seat that he refers to is a place for believers only. It's a place where God's children will receive awards just like those Olympic athletes. See, this is not, what Paul's referring to here is not, that there's another judgment seat. It's called the great white throne of judgment. And in Revelation 20, John talks about this. This is the place where the book of life is opened and the wheat is separated from the shaft. The sheep are separated from the goats. Heaven and hell is on the line. Whether or not your name is written in the book of life determines that. That is the great white throne. This is the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. This is for believers only. Salvation is not in view here. When Jesus hung on that cross, and he said, it is finished, the debt is paid in full, he meant it. Every sin that you and I have committed, if we put our trust in Jesus, those have been forgiven as far as the east is from the west. This is not drudging those sins back up. This is not being judged for our sinful nature or the sins that we have committed in the body. That's been dealt with once and for all. The judgment seat for our sins was at the cross. But as believers... We're going to give an account for the things we did while in this earthly tent. See, this Bema seat, it's a place of revelation. It's a place where the, the deeds that we've done have, are, will be exposed for what they are. We can trick people here on earth into thinking we're great people. We, at, this, at, this, at this seat, we will not be tricking God. What we did will come to light. It's a place of reckoning where we will give an account of what we did while we were here on earth. The deeds that we did, the service, the ministry that we did unto God while we were here. It's also a place then of recompense. As we give our account, we will be recompensed, which means to be given back what is due. In the parable of the talents, we're going to show forth what we did with what he gave us while he was gone, and then we're going to receive reward based on what we did while we were in this body. And according to that, depending on what we did... There will be recognition, reward, and rejoicing. Those are all of the RE words that I could find in the dictionary. We will be rewarded. There will be a time of uh, recognition and a time of rejoicing. And he says, we'll be judged according to what we did while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, here is an important distinction. I don't believe that this will be based on solely on the acts that we did. Not on so much what we did, but how we did it. It's not how many churches did you plant? How many souls did you convert? How many old ladies did you help across the street? How many hours did you spend in your Bible? I think what is more important is how we did that. For what is good, he says, and I believe that the only good that will be rewarded are the things that were done by faith. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You could have done a lot of good works in your own strength, and those will not be rewarded at that day. Hebrews 14 says, if it's not of faith, it is sin. 
So what's more important than what we do is how we do it. Did we do it in dependence on the Father? Did we trust Him to produce Christ's life in us? Or were we doing things in our own strength? 1 Corinthians 3 says that Christ is the foundation. And if it's not built on that foundation, it's going to all burn up on this day of judgment. And he also refers to the bad things. This word in the Greek was probably better translated useless. Now, you could argue it's sin, because if it's not of faith, it's sin. But more to Paul's point, he says, some things you'll be rewarded for, some things you did were useless. They were just for the moment. They were temporary, vain things, pointless things that maybe you found pleasure then, but they, didn't, they weren't for eternity. They weren't done for the kingdom. They weren't done by faith in me, and there will be no reward for them. So the question is, is reward a proper motivation for serving God. Is reward a proper motive? I mean, doesn't it kind of smack? Like when, I, when you hear this, it sounds like, isn't that a little selfish? Like I shouldn't be doing things for God to get rewarded. I should just simply be doing them because I love him and I obey him and I, I want to glorify him. Well, it certainly was a motivation for Paul. You look in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you know, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Paul says, run to win. Run to receive the prize and the crown. Second Timothy, he says, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. He says, those of us who look forward to him coming back, there's a crown waiting for us. And even Jesus himself in Revelation 3 says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. There is certainly a motivation for Paul that there will be reward given on that day. But I do not believe that it was Paul's highest motivation. I don't think that that was his loftiest ambition. He told us what that was in verse 9. He says that we make it our ambition to what? To please him. So there is no mo- higher motivation for Paul, no higher ambition than to please God. I think Paul was, was like a violinist. Who, who doesn't care about the applause of the crowd. All he cares about is the smile of the one who taught him how to play. I think Paul is like that athlete who, who is not concerned with the, the fans roaring for them. Just when they're done, they want that hug from their coach and to say, well done. That's exactly how I showed you to do it. Or like that, that soldier who's not in it for the victory, the accolades, the fame but to please his general. Paul has one motivation, and that is to glorify his God by what he does. And what is that reward? We, we don't know. We're not told specifically if it's physical crowns, um, if it's, we, we don't know. We're not really given any more detail than, than there is this. But I think the one thing that we do know, and John MacArthur said it well, he said, what is that reward? I believe it is an eternal capacity to glorify and serve God. I believe our eternal capacity to to glorify and serve God will be the expression of the reward for the earthly service, whatever it is. You remember that picture in Revelation when the elders have their crowns? What do they do with those? They don't walk around, look at my crown. Look at all the jewels in my crown, right? What do they do? They take it off and they lay it at the feet of Jesus. Whatever it is that we're rewarded for, it came because we depended on him. It wasn't our effort in the first place. It was given to us. 
and then we give it right back to him. Because, for, because from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's what Paul said in Romans 11. It's not about us. We didn't earn it. It's not for our glory. It's all from him and through him and to him. In conclusion, every, every uh, Christmas break I run a camp. Uh, for elementary basketball kids. It's a fundraiser for our high school. We call it Hoops for the Holidays. And this camp is 65 to 70 K through 6th graders for four days in a gymnasium. Talk about decaying your tent quicker. (laughs) This is what's going on here. And at the end of this camp, we give out these awards for good attitudes, for running fast, jumping high, winning competitions. There are some of these campers who live in light of this award right? They work hard, they have good attitudes, they've been there before, they know what's coming, and they get after it. They are some motivated elementary students in my camp. There are some who just don't seem to have any perspective in life, right? They're just living for the now. They're just having a good time, playing with their friends. You know, there's one little kid that would run about three feet and then stop and collapse in a, a heap of tears for no reason other than he was in kindergarten, I suppose. Get up. So at the end of the week, I would give out these awards. And some of these kids, they, they, would, they, would, they would get these awards. And this one little boy in particular, he was, I think, a kindergartner or first grader. And he was so excited. He came up afterwards with his mom. And he said, she said, he, you know, he'd really like to get his picture with you with this award. So he's got his, his certificate and his little candy bar. And, you know, he gets up next to me and he's just beaming. Like, he's just so excited to have gotten this. It was an attitude award. So he was, he was showing, proving that it was true. So we, we take this picture and he's just, he's so happy. There are other kids who, who walk away from the bleachers. And they didn't get anything. They didn't get any award. And they were disappointed. And, and they, they had a great time that week. They were goofing off and, and, and having fun with some friends. But, but they didn't have that perspective that there was coming a day when the awards would be given. And they lived in light of the temporary and not in what was to come. Now, is that a little dramatic? Maybe. But the point, the point is, are we living just for these temporary tents? Are we just spending our time here on earth trying to collect garbage, preserve garbage, live for the now, have a good time, be entertained, have, have pleasure for right now? Or are we living in light of our, our permanent, glorious home with the Lord that is coming? There is a day that will come when we will stand before him and give an account. Is our highest motivation, is the thing that makes us streak like that Price is Right contestant the most in that I want to please him. And on that day that I hear from him, well done, good and faithful servant. And I come up next to him and I've got my reward and I get that picture taken with Jesus. And I'm so glad that I lived that life in light of eternity and not just for the temporary. Would you rather live for now or live for him? Let's pray. Father, it's, it's so easy to walk by faith, to walk by sight and not by faith. Father, it's so easy just to look at the here and now, and it's a rat race, God. It's so easy to get caught up in the things of this world and wanting to die with the most toys and, 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 and wanting the things of this earth, Father. And I I feel that in my own heart. So 
So, Father, what we pray for is a broken heart. That you would change our desires. That you would change our perspective. That you would change what we groan for, what we long for, what we live for. Father, may we live for one reason, and that's to please you. So when we stand before you in that day, that we'll receive that crown because we longed for your appearing. And then we'll take that crown and we'll lay it at your feet. And we'll praise you and we'll glorify you for eternity. Father, we ask for the grace to trust you, to walk by faith, to live in order to, to please you, to be, to be satisfied with nothing but you, so that we may hear that word on that day and glorify you in it. It's only from your son, it's only through your son, and it's only to your son that we pray these things. Amen.